What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. On this episode, we go into the anatomy of a typical training week for an athlete that I would coach. We take a deep dive and we get into everything um, from the rest day, the easy runs, the quality sessions, all components of training, the long run, everything like that. So we hope you enjoy. Again, this is episode number 51, Anatomy of a Training Week. another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bottenhorn, sitting here with co-host, Michael Benvenuto. Hey, how's it going, Mark? Good, man. Happy to be on this podcast with you. Pat couldn't join us today. He's uh, he's having a penis enlargement done or something. <laughs> That's brutal. Brutal. <laughs> no, I'm just well, kidding. we miss you, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you uh, heal up quickly. No, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. He's okay, but he had something that came up. So it would be just us, the two amigos today. No problem. That works for me, man. It's always good to be on the pod with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how's everything going? How's your training going? Uh, training's been going okay. You know, been still able to log some consistent mileage, uh, even with uh, a very advanced hip injury that I've had now for the last year and a half. Um, only able to, you know, do about four miles without pain, so... I do like four miles Monday through Friday and then try to suck up a long run of six to eight miles one of the days on the weekends and then get some rest in. So uh, still been able to train, been lifting, doing stretching, all that good stuff too. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a modified training schedule because of the injury. Yeah. What what makes you even show up every day? like to keep doing that right now when you know you're not really going to gain too much fitness from it and you know that surgery is kind of impending. Yeah, I mean, my goal has always been so focused on running Boston uh, and putting in a strong race there. Uh, I know that when you know, I have my surgery scheduled to repair the labrum in my right hip uh, that's been torn since February of 2019. Uh, and then they're also going to shave down some of the bone as well because I have a cam deformity, which for all those out there who have hip injuries and have had hip surgeries, I guess it's a pretty common thing for runners to have. Um, but I know that going into that surgery, if I can maintain as much fitness as possible, that hopefully coming out of the end of that, I won't have to do too much work to get back to uh, a high level of fitness uh, and prepare myself to run Boston in April. Okay, cool. So you're still planning on doing the virtual uh, Boston event as well? Yes, I am. Uh, if only uh, because I'm, I'm nervous that obviously that they will even have a Boston marathon next April. You know, things with COVID just seem to constantly be evolving. Seems like things get good and then it, get, it gets bad again. So um, the Boston Athletics Association did extend uh, the qualifying race period for the 2021 Boston Marathon. So I can still submit my uh, 
you know, my old time from 2019 to run 2021, but, you know, God forbid something happens and they, they don't have a race again and they don't extend that period uh, for qualifying race times. This might be my only chance to get a Boston Marathon medal. And I mean, I already bought the, the jacket, so I can't walk around with the jacket and not have the medal. So uh, I will be running the virtual. I'm going to do it on September 7th, the Monday, and then uh, I'll be going in for my hip surgery on the 9th. <laughs> oh, good. So you can just destroy everything and then two days later, just bring it in for him to fix. Yeah. Yeah. When I was talking to my doctor about it, I said, Hey, I know this is going to sound insane, but uh, would it be okay if I ran a marathon two days before the surgery? And he looked at me like I was an absolute maniac. And he's like, yeah, well, I mean, heck, you can't do any more damage to it. And we're going to be opening you up anyway. So yeah, go for it. Have fun. (laughs) Oh, man, does not sound fun. But I give you a lot of credit (laughs) for persevering through that, uh, no doubt. So before we get down into kind of the anatomy of a training week here and what we, what we plan on talking about, and this is, this is everything from um, rest and recovery all the way down to the quality sessions, the easy runs and and everything in between. We're really going to take a deep dive into it. I want to take a second to talk about something that's been really challenging for me. And um, I think the, the, um, the the news with uh, Tommy Rives has been really hard. Uh, for me personally, I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've obviously been keeping up with it. It it sounds just absolutely awful. Um, you know, there's been a huge outpouring of support for him and, you know, he's a, an old ultra guy. So, you know, he was, he would always pop up in a lot of our monthly newsletters that we had uh, on the ultra team. So yeah, obviously wish him the best of luck and, you know, hope that he can pull through and thoughts and prayers to him and his family. Absolutely. Yeah, just um, if I, I did a little bit of research on it because I'm a bit of a researcher, and if 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 I did my research properly with the with the type of lymphoma that he has and where it's actually originated, I believe since 1990 there were nine other nine other cases of that diagnosed in the U.S. Wow, um, wow, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, a, a pretty rare thing, and you know, hard to imagine somebody who's as physically fit uh, as he is to come down with something like this. It just, it definitely puts things into perspective for sure. I don't, I don't know if that's kind of been your reaction to it and thinking about your own mortality, but uh, that's, that's certainly where my head goes when, whenever I see somebody like this go down with a, you know, a, a life threatening illness like this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's easy to identify with them. I think um, just because, um, like I see myself as an athlete as well. So like you feel, you get the feeling sometimes that athletes are healthy and invincible, but, um, that's not always the case. Um, so yeah, I mean, you definitely have to confront, uh, confront all those things, but at the same time, like he was such a source of inspiration is actually is such a source of inspiration for me. And, um, though like the, the outlook may be bleak or whatever it is, I, I think if there's anybody on earth that could, is tough enough to overcome it, I think it would be him, you know? So I yeah. just have a lot of faith in that. He's a one tough, uh, SOB. That's for sure. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you've been following his Instagram, like I have over the years, uh, some of the stories from his races and, and trail runs that he does. I mean, the, the guy is just an animal and just relentless, uh, always in attack mode, you know, doesn't give up. So, you know, I'm sure he'll, he's taking that same mindset into, 
you know, dealing with this, but uh, yeah, again, wish, wish him a, you know, hopefully a, a speedy recovery and thoughts and prayers to him and the family. Yeah, definitely. His, uh, his brother posted something um, on Instagram, posted him, posted him singing, uh, doing a cover of uh, Neil Young's heart of gold. Um, uh. And he plays the harmonica perfectly. I don't know where he's at or what venue he's at, but there seems to be hundreds, if not thousands of people in the crowd and he sings it beautifully. I mean, like he's such a talented singer, and then he even he even that's one of my favorite songs of all time. And so it was kind of crazy that he sang that. And then he even he even nails the harmonica part perfectly, like he had a harmonica in his pocket. Um, so it's like amazing. Like the dude was just is just so talented at everything he does, man. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I've if uh, if anybody's interested in my link tree on my Instagram page, I put a link to the GoFundMe um, to his, to his favorite charity to supporting Navajo nation, um, uh, particularly during COVID providing clean water. Um, there's been a lot of money raised in his, uh, in his name and as well as his own personal GoFundMe, you can find the links to that on my link tree. And if you feel so obliged, you can donate or contribute to it. Um, I know it's something that he would greatly appreciate. All right, Michael, you ready to jump into this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, wanted to get together, and especially with you, because you look at things through a more maybe analytical or scientific uh, lens than, than Patrick does, um, with just having different passions, different skill sets, different talents. Um, and I think, you know, diving into this stuff is like stuff you kind of nerd out about. So I, I really look forward to talking about uh, the breakdown of what a training week would look like uh, for somebody that I coach or whatever it may be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I love the numbers. I love pouring over that stuff, the training schedule. I mean, you know, ever since we started working together, you know, I know I text you often to ask you about the workouts and, um, yeah, it's, I, I love it, you know, and that's, again, to kind of come back to what you said before, what keeps me going through all of, you know, through this injury and it's just, you know, that consistency and that structure and what running does for me mentally and physically, like, even though I can't go out and run as long as I want or as fast as I want, I'm still getting the, the clear headedness benefit, you know, the uh, breathing uh, exercise, uh, you know, zenning out a little bit, you might say getting into that meditative state when I'm running. So yeah, it, running means a lot to me doing the physical activity and, you know, that coaching component that you bring into creating these schedules just, you know, makes it even more fun for me. So yeah, I, I love it. Well, great. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people can identify with you with um, the, the, the benefits that running, that running brings them. Um, and definitely talk about both the, the, the physical and the mental benefits um, of the different components of training. Uh, so I think the first thing is, you know, going, there, there are a lot of terms we're going to hear, but for all intents and purposes, I think we'll define a quality session as some type of elevated speed work uh, session. So normal than a regular easy run. So we'll call those quality sessions uh, just to mm-hmm. be known. Um, and so what it looks like, and we talk about it often, but it, it varies based on where you're at in training. Um, and how far you are from the race, but the, really the big change there is specificity and intensity. What won't change mm-hmm. so much is the structure. Um, so I find that most people obviously are going to benefit from one rest day a week, right? Um, and during that rest day, it doesn't necessarily mean that you just lay around on your couch or you go to work and you lay around on your couch and you eat potato chips or anything like that. It, 
it, it definitely means that you're that you're moving around. Uh, potentially, some type of active rest uh, is usually pretty good. Most people who are athletes don't like to just sit around. I find anyway, mentally or physically. Yeah, and if you ever want to freak somebody out who is not a runner uh, or has been an athlete, just say the term active rest to them and their heads explode. They just, you know, that talk about something that doesn't translate. <laughs> like, yes. oh, I have an active rest day. Oh, great. We can drink beers and play video games. Like, oh no, I'm going to stretch, maybe do some yoga, light lift. <laughs> yeah. That's a rest day. <laughs> um, so yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when we talk about, when we talk about a rest day, we, we're talking about recovery, but recovery through movement is, is the primary goal on rest days. And I mean, if you, if you, mentally just feel like you want to break and you just kind of want to just veg out and do whatever it is that you want to do. That's okay too. Um, but I wouldn't make a habit of doing it all the time. I'd look to try to maximize the recovery during the rest day. And so when we talk about a rest day or active recovery, um, a lot of my athletes, I actually give a rest day on Monday uh, to start the week. And I think initially that freaks some of them out because they've made it all the way through Monday with no miles. Um, but the miles come on hot and heavy, uh, following that, but mentally, I, I'm sure it can be, it can be hard at first when transitioning kind of into the system that we use. Um, so what that might look like is recovering from the long run the previous day and starting the new week out. And, um, some really good examples of that are things that are non load bearing, because we want to try to keep the easy days easy. You want to keep the recovery days to recovery and not do anything that's too detrimental on the leg. So like on your rest day, I don't think it's ideal to go deadlift or squat, um, <laughs> right? Anything like that. It's probably not ideal to go on a four hour hike. Uh, that's very strenuous. Um, but things like swimming are a good option. Uh, maybe some light cycling is a good option. As you mentioned, yoga, mobility, uh, some type of breath work. Uh, maybe you're just going for a walk with the family. Um, walk your dog, take your dog for an extra long walk. Things like this are going to help kind of keep blood flow going, help stimulate recovery without taxing your body too much. Yeah. And that kind of stuff helps too. When you bounce back from a rest day, um, you know, and let's say you had a long run that weekend previous, you know, you have your nice rest day on Monday. If you keep your body moving, uh, and doing active rest, you won't go into that run on Tuesday with really heavy legs. Um, you know, that's something I think a lot of runners can suffer from coming off of long runs or rest days. You get out there and that first mile, you just, you feel like you got sandbags hanging off the bottom of your feet. So, uh, Keeping, keeping yourself mobile, um, keeping yourself stretched out, I think also helps uh, bounce back and start the week off strong. Yeah. For me, I think an ideal rest day would be something that includes one of those components that we talked about. Um, a whole lot of foam rolling, some mobility work, uh, probably some, some static stretching because some degree of flexibility is really important. Um, and then obviously like filling the day other than your, your responsibilities, filling the day with something that you're really passionate about and something that really excites you that doesn't maybe take the physical toll on your body that running does. Um, when you can do all those things, I think um, you're looking at your body's happy. Uh, you're moving, you're flushing out lactic acid, toxins, um, mm -hmm. restoring the fascia around muscle tissue, um, giving yourself a mental break, allowing yourself to do things that really, that, that you really like. And, and I find that maybe you come on Tuesday or whatever day your rest day is, you come out the next day, uh, feeling fresh, feeling ready to go, ready to attack the day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. And, and just a, a note on the foam rolling, which, you know, I know we all prescribe to something I learned just through this injury, um, don't over foam roll your IT bands. Uh, 
Don't uh, put full pressure on that. Maybe do a little bit of light pressure. Keep a leg down on the ground. Um, but you can really do more damage than good if you over foam roll uh, that IT band. Yeah, we just, I just had Pat calling in right there. So his uh, procedure must have been a success. I'm just kidding. There's, <laughs> there's no procedure. There's no procedure. I don't want to spread any rumors. Um, but I ignored it, obviously, because I'm on a podcast, something that he doesn't know about. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important, Michael. I don't think you're going to really manipulate or change the fascia around the IT band. I mean, the, the IT band anyway is it's, it's not something that's going to benefit from foam rolling. So that's a common misnomer. I think you'd be much better suited foam rolling your quads uh, for two to four minutes, your hamstrings for two minutes, your hips uh, for two minutes. And I think you'd see a lot more benefit from that than you would from foam rolling the IT band. Like you said, there's really nothing to gain from it. Um, almost quite literally nothing, but there's a lot uh, that can go wrong. So I, I think you're better off avoiding it. That's exactly correct. And throughout the day when you are foam rolling, uh, I think the, the biggest thing that stops people from foam rolling is because they really don't know what they're doing. I think a good place to start is two minutes for every major muscle group, uh, one to two times a day. And then I personally spend uh, four minutes on the quads, three to four minutes on the quads, three to four minutes on the glutes, hips, just those are the larger muscles. Um, the, you know, some of the largest muscles in your body. And so it, it, it might take a little bit more work, uh, to the fascia of those muscles to really, uh, see the benefit. So I tend to go just a little bit longer, 52 to, you know, 50% more to double, um, the time on the other muscles. Yeah. And I think another thing worth noting when, as we're talking about the rest days, you know, uh, I know typically it's one rest day per week, but, you know, for, for those out there who, you know, maybe can't do a, a full six day workload running wise, or, you know, schedule doesn't permit. I mean, you know, you had put together a, a, a pretty controlled schedule for me on in my last marathon cycle where you were putting in two days of rest for me just to account for, you know, the injury that I was dealing with. So, um, you know, for, for those out there who, who feel like they might need the, uh, two days of rest, you know, you can still certainly be effective in your training, um, just running five days a week. So I, I thought that was just worth bringing up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think I should, I should note that I have that, that I coach athletes who, um, I, I won't count the strength athletes. I work with a lot of like CrossFit athletes and things like that, who, who only run three days a week, but let's, let's not count that endurance athletes. Um, you know, I have athletes that run four or five, six, and seven days a week. I'd say most commonly, almost everybody has a rest day. And then a lot of people actually have two. So five or six days is pretty common in what we see. And, and two rest days for me is like is just two opportunities to maybe uh, cross-train and do that active rest. I treat them both pretty much the same. Uh, you know, it just, it just depends on the person. It's going to be very individual. Like Michael, you needed two rest days during that period of time. Um, you know, someone like Brian, he might go three weeks uh, without a rest day. So it just, it, it just depends on the person and what they're doing. Uh, when you're running, when you're running 95 miles a week or something like that, it becomes very challenging, um, to take rest days. And it's not always necessary because he's able to run some of those rest days, like really true recovery runs. Um, and they don't take a huge physiological toll on his body. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good distinction there. This, um, it isn't, uh, universal that you have to train, uh, six days per week. That was just the example I was using in that case. So that's a good that's a good point there. So um, I guess now we'll move into probably the most common run of the week, which would be the the easy or conversational paced, uh, easy aerobic runs, and these come in right around the scale of an RPE of 
let's say four to six on a scale of 10. So RPE rate of perceived exertion uh, looking like a four to six effort out of 10. So uh, four kind of being, you can do it pretty much all day, you know? Yeah. And, and that term conversational pace, that is the truth. I mean, just as you're running, try to talk, you know, recite some lines from your favorite movie, try to sing a song. If you are finding yourself having trouble <laughs> singing or talking, slow down. Um, Cause that, that, that is the, the best way to gauge it. I have so many people ask me, you know, Oh, what's well, a good easy pace for me to run. And I say, run and talk. And if you can run and talk, that's the, that's the pace where you want to be. So yeah, you, I think, use that as a guide. I think that's right on. I think if you can, if you can talk, um, you're probably in, in a, in a good zone there. If you can run, you, if, if you feel like you might be able to speed up a little bit, uh, if you, if you can sing. If you can sing while running, uh, you might be moving <laughs> a little bit too slow. Um, but that's not always the case because sometimes I can I can sing. I don't know if I can do like a, if I could do like a whole bust of rhymes, a whole verse. But yeah. there are times when I'm running, I can sing uh, for sure. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with keeping it easy and conversational. Um, so the primary uh, goal of an easier conversational run um, is is really a few things. One, uh, recovery. A lot of pretty much every study shows that, you know, somewhere between uh, 30 and 50 minutes of easy running going to provide an optimal stimulus um, for recovery. Um, going over 50 minutes starts to bring negative returns on recovery because it, it tends to be more of an aerobic effort. So somewhere around 50 minutes and under is, is a good recovery run. Um, if the primary goal of the day is to recover and somebody needs to run, let's say 12 miles or better off splitting that into two runs, um, if, if recovery is the goal. So splitting that into two slower runs, um, somebody who's like maybe training for the marathon 50 K distance and above, then a lot of their runs will be longer than 50 minutes. Their recovery runs, obviously, because it's important, um, to be able to function well on, on really heavy and tired legs and to still be able to generate power on those legs. Um, so obviously the miles need to be longer because that when you start getting to those race distances is absolutely necessary. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I can, I can certainly vouch for like, and I think, you know, a lot of runners out there have felt this when you are training for a, you know, a marathon or longer distance race uh, and you're in that heart of training, you know, for me personally, I feel like I don't get warmed up until like somewhere between five to seven miles. You know, that's when I feel like everything's clicking. I'm totally zoned out. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense that you'd want to be out there for a, you know, a little bit of an extended period of time just to kind of get your, your body warmed up and get kind of lock yourself in, get in the zone a little bit. Well, yeah. And I just think it takes an, an immense amount of aerobic work to be truly prepared for a marathon. And I think that's why you see a lot of people quote unquote, hit the wall later in marathon races because they haven't actually done enough to physically prepare for the race. And so everybody, what they want to do is crank up their long runs and they say, well, I've never run over 20 miles. So every time I hit 20 miles, I hit the wall, but that's probably not actually the case. It's more of a full body of work. Um, I don't think, you don't need to run 26 miles prior to the race to be able to execute your race plan for 26 miles. I think it's more of a product of training as a whole. Um, so that's kind of a common misnomer. And I think, you know, when we're looking at several runs of longer than two hours for the, for the average runner, um, you're going to see a lot of negative returns in terms of injury to, to cost benefit um, where it's not really worth it. So I don't program a whole lot of two plus hour runs in for my athletes who are training the marathon or below. Um, also, I don't think the average person has a lot of time to, to go out and run two hours every day. So that, that plays into it as well. But the, 
so the primary benefits of the of the easy run beyond recovery um, are these long, slow, easy runs. Um, when done at that lower effort, they build capillary density. So basically, you can look at it as your body or blood or circulation system growing roots deeper into the muscle. And with more blood and oxygen to the muscle, you can more efficiently power it. The only way to get it is from running at those slow, easy paces. So a lot of your runs each week are going to be in that range um, for recovery, uh, for these for these capillary density. It helps flush waste product out. It helps bring more blood and oxygen in. So it's absolutely necessary, and you can't get it if you're running too fast. Um, another thing is it, it, it will help you burn fat more efficiently as fuel. Um, when you become glycogen depleted, you need to be able to use fat as fuel. If you're running longer races, you're using primarily fat as fuel. Um, so this helps your body burn fat more efficiently as fuel. It's absolutely necessary to do well in races that are longer than the half marathon. Um, and then the next thing that, but even shorter than that as well. Um, and then the next thing it does is uh, it improves your body's ability to recruit and use mitochondria, uh, which is obviously um, – the powerhouse of the cell, right? So you're basically allowing your body to have and utilize more cellular energy. All of these things can't be done if the pace is too fast. So what I see a lot of athletes do, and Michael, I'm sure you see this too, is too many athletes run too fast too often, and they find themselves somewhere in between an easy run and a tempo or threshold run where they're not really in either of those zones, but they're not, so they're not getting the benefit of the uh, of the tempo work or the threshold work, but they're not also getting the benefit of the easy run. They're kind of in what we kind of call no man's land, and your risk of injury is is up higher than it would be for an easy run. Your recovery time is longer, um, but you're not really benefiting from it. So it's imperative that people slow down and run the right paces. Um, and for something like Let's say right now I'm operating maybe in like the 16, 15, um, like 5K area. So for somebody like 16 to 16, 15 in the 5K, somewhere where I'm at, I don't really train for the 5K. I'm just using that as something you can relate to. Um, you know, that looks like somewhere between 645 pace and 740 pace for me, depending on how I feel for the day. Um, and everybody's going to have this range of what's probably ideal for them on the day. And so that's why I don't get too caught up in prescribing paces or recommend people follow rigid paces. Um, my easy runs typically start somewhere uh, right around 730 to 740 pace, and especially now with the heat and humidity. And then I work into what I feel comfortable, and sometimes I work down to the low sevens or maybe a little faster, or sometimes I just work down to like 710s and average like 720 pace or something like that. Like today I averaged 721 pace for nine miles. Um, and, and that's a really – really comfortable area where I know I'm getting those positive physiological uh, benefits and adapting to that aerobic stimulus. Yeah. And, and that point about the pace that, you know, the, what pace do I run uh, for those easy runs? It's, it, it, uh, it can vary, you know, it, it could depend on the week on how you're feeling on what feels easy. You know, some, some days, you know, like you said, a certain, a certain number feels easy and you're in the middle of the run and then you find like, oh, wow, I just ran that last lap 10 seconds faster, but you're still running uh, at that same level of effort. And that's really what's key because, as you said, you can't build um, if you're constantly tearing yourself apart. Um, I, I ran into that problem you know, a number of years ago before we linked up um, in a training cycle where I thought, okay, well, this time – I'm going to, I'm going to crush every run I go out on, uh, you know, no matter what the runner's world schedule told me. 
And I just beat the crap out of myself, uh, you know, over, over that 16 weeks of the training. And when I got time to the race, you know, I blew my hamstring halfway through the race because my body was just so beat up. So yeah, I can't stress enough, uh, you know, how, how much good those easy runs can do for you. Um, once you get locked into that pace, um, and you just kind of feel those miles clicking off, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a crucial part of your training and something that's more difficult to master than you might think. Um, but definitely put the time into it to figure out your easy pace and, and understand that, uh, you know, those runs are important to set up the hard work that will be, uh, on the, on the rest of that schedule, you know, the speed work or the pickups or tempo sessions. Um, it'll, it'll pay dividends for you later, as you said. Yeah. And Michael, would you agree that, um, when we started working together, um, like probably one of the first things I did was, was slow you down on the easy runs. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was just going, you know, balls to the wall every time I went out there thinking that, you know, maybe that's what you wanted to see, or that's what I should be doing in order to get faster. Um, and yeah, you, you put the brakes on me pretty quickly and it was frustrating at first. Cause you're, you're going out there and I understand that feeling you might have on an easy run where you're, you're just, you're going through the paces almost, you know, you're just kind of yeah. you know, walking through it. You know, it doesn't feel hard. You don't really feel like you're working that much. You know, you're wondering what else you could be doing with this time. Um, but again, it, it paid dividends. And I saw my times, um, you know, as we would do like, you know, practice races, you know, 10 K efforts or, or 5 K, um, and then as I would roll into half and full marathons, you know, I saw my, my PRs just start dropping, uh, considerably as the more we worked, uh, and the more that I got that easy pace versus hard effort, um, balance dialed in. Yeah. And I think it, it can become really hard at first because you have to have a tremendous amount of trust in the process, uh, to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go out and slow down for these runs. Um, but it truly is backed by science invariably um yeah and so that 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 makes it a little bit easier because um we have this beautiful super computer in our pockets you know our phone most people have a smartphone that i know and um it makes it really really simple doesn't it i mean like you can but the thing is you can also find bad information too so you have to be careful Uh, i'd avoid the (laughs) last run message message boards Uh, (laughs) i can tell you that right now um but i think there's a there's a lot of good information out there, but you know, the slowing down and running in those proper pace zones and proper effort zones. I think I want to highlight that even more effort zone, not pace zone effort zone, I think is going to yield a really, a lot of positive results that you wouldn't maybe expect and seem almost counterintuitive or counterproductive uh, to running. And so, yeah, your times did drop. Um, so the easy runs obviously play that, that huge role. So um, somebody like that I'm working with, let's say they have Monday off uh, Tuesday, they'll do a really easy run. Um, and this is maybe not in a, this is just in a general base phase. Okay. So Tuesday, they'll do their easy run coming back. Um, Wednesday, uh, they'll do an easy run with four to six times 30 second pickups in the second half of the run. So say they have eight miles that day um, in the final four or three miles, they'll knock out, you know, four or six, 30 second pickups where they'll increase speed uh, to somewhere around 5k pace or just faster, even up to mile pace. Um, and then they'll take two minutes easy at least between each um, between each pickup. And so 
what this does is 30 seconds isn't a long interval. You're not going to make a whole lot of, uh, you know, it's not that, it's not that heart pounding uh, VO2 max adaptations you're going to make in that 30 seconds. Let's not even so much look at it as, as something that's really going to provide a lot of benefit physically to the body, though it does. Um, let's look at it more as brain training. So what it actually does is when you're running at those harder paces that you're not used to running at for increments of 30 seconds, you're really getting into those paces, um, but you're not at it for a long or sustained enough time to actually have negative returns on your body or your recovery. Uh, so what it does is it actually makes you feel fresher in, in some ways, but it gets your body more comfortable with running faster. So you provide it, it provides you with the stimulus to make a neuromuscular connection. So basically, uh, the connection with your brain or central nervous system to your muscles. And um, what, the, what that does is helps you be able to better recruit those muscles um, when it is time to actually run those paces or slower for longer periods of time. Um, so you can think of it as like a bodybuilder, um, a, a really good bodybuilder uh, when they're trying to really contract the muscle can almost, can almost make each muscle f- fiber fire in, in, in a set of muscles like so if they're doing a biceps curl for example um, they're able to really get a lot of tension through a mind and muscle connection and be able to recruit those fibers that's where you're going to get maximum growth because you want to get the most muscle fiber uh, micro tears that you can in bodybuilding well it's the same thing with running while you're not trying to get like a pump or anything like that what you're really trying to do is re- help your body recruit muscle um, muscle fibers to run faster to be able to maintain the velocity needed to race fast um, so that does that in a sense, it's basically brain training, practice recruiting those fibers to be able to run fast and generate power. Um, and one of the, 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 the physical benefits of it is, is that you are physically doing that. Um, it's helping you become more biomechanically efficient, helping you run more, getting you more, uh, forward, uh, propelling yourself forward and helping your body be able to deal with the with the um, intensity or the rigors of running fast. So it provides a lot of benefits in a short period of time uh, without much recovery cost. Uh, by the time you finish the run, you shouldn't feel like, oh, I just did a speed workout. You should feel like I had a really, really, really slow, easy conversational pace run. And then, at, you know, the last 20 minutes or so of it, I really uh, picked it up for really small bursts, but you wouldn't feel that. You feel refreshed most times when you finish the run. Michael, would you agree with that? Oh, I would agree a hundred percent. And, you know, I, I, I kind of act like you invented pickups, Mark, when I, cause this is probably the number one thing that I tell um, when people say like, what's something I can do to help my running. And I say, work in some pickup sessions, you know, it, it'll help, you know, increase that VO2 max, increase that lactic threshold. Um, it helps you build and add on to those more full, full that you do. But that component that you said about learning to run fast, um, you know, that kind of creates that balance between what I was doing pre-mark, where I was going out and crushing every run because I thought, heck, if I'm going to race at this pace, I should be training at this pace. So it creates, as you said, that brain training for you to, to understand like, okay, I can handle this pace. And you'll see as you do more and more of them, you'll see that your pace in the pickups will increase and at least I see it in my Garmin data when I'm, you know, when I, when I was doing it with you at first, the difference between where your heart rate goes during the pickup and how long it takes for it to come back down during that two minute break, you know, you'll see that gap get shorter and shorter as you go along. Um, uh, pickups to me are a great way to break up a week full of runs that, you know, prior to incorporating them might've just been full of 
standard, okay, go out and run this pace for five miles, go out and run this pace for eight miles. You know, you incorporate the pickups. It makes the run go by more quick, kind of gamifies it for you a little bit. Um, again, it's something that I, I preach to everybody. I know I say, you know, just start out doing 15 seconds. Cause I can tell you some friends came back to me and said, boy, 30 seconds felt like an eternity running that hard. Um, you know, start with 15, start with 20. I mean, wh- whatever it takes to get you up to that, that 30 seconds. Um, but yeah, I, I love the pickups. I believe in them. I tell everybody to do them. Um, I think it's a great component um, and a change up to the week that kind of bridges the gap between your easy runs and then your, you know, your hard speed work tempo efforts. Yep. And you'll, and you, and I wouldn't consider this necessarily a quality session. I would say that it's 99% easy run. Um, with just a little bit of a little bit of focused work in it, and you know there are some variations to that as well. So you'll you maybe see that two times a week, um, but you might see different variations. So like instead of the pickups, maybe we might look at um, really short, uh, fifteen to twenty seconds on a pretty steep hill. So really, really short. Um, you know, even going faster than your, than your mile race pace uh, uphill for 15 seconds or 20 seconds. And what this does is it provides much of the same benefit, uh, but running uphill helps you uh, recruit your posterior chain more, helps you develop more power uh, in your stride, more power efficiency, um, more and different ability to, to recruit those muscle fibers needed to uh, maintain the velocity you need to race fast. Um, so in, in some ways also it's like strength training in disguise. Those short steep hills are, uh, effectively anaerobic work almost um so again it's it's really really helping your mind uh create that that mind muscle connection um but it's also you know providing providing some some fast twitch work to the fast twitch muscle fibers that you have in your body that can go dormant um over time just doing slow twitch stuff all of the time so uh that's another thing that you might see in there and then the third variance of it is uh what, what we call strides and those can be done in the middle of a run where you'd kind of stop or they'd be done at the end of a run most commonly. Um, and basically what it is is, you know, you might do 60 to 80 to 100 meter strides. And it's not an all out sprint for 60, 80 or 100 meters. But let's just say you're doing an 80 meter stride. Um, it's like you slowly build into full velocity or somewhere around 40 or 50 meters and then slowly work back down. So you can kind of look at it as like a peaking sprint to where you're almost peaking in the center of it and then working back down and you'll see you know maybe six of those with a little bit of a walk jog of a minute maybe in between uh and those are most commonly done yeah. kind of near the end but uh you might you might throw them in the middle or something like that so th- those are called strides they're basically uh just kind of i would consider them static pickups where you're not doing them actively during the run uh they're kind of done separate uh from the run and those are done yeah, on flat and, ground and a key yeah, and a key thing on um, when you're doing those strides, you know, it, it can be your intuition might just say to to kind of go wild, like you were saying. But keeping yourself under control in that buildup during the, the those stride sessions, um, that can really uh, have a lot of benefit just to you know your overall body mechanics. Uh, you know, getting your stride and cadence styled in. You know focusing on, you know, am I over my, on my toes? Am I in the right body position? Is my foot hitting the ground at the right point? You know, where's my chest? Where's my chin right now? That's a good time to kind of focus on your form in those little stride pieces that you do. Yeah. Um, and again, the, the, to, to add to what you said before about the hills, I mean, you want to talk about a way to break up a week, throw a hill session in a, a Mark Bottenhorn classic, and uh, that will send you, 
beaten, battered, and bruised uh, back to your house because, boy, oh, boy, those hill sessions, especially here in New Mexico in the altitude, boy, those can beat you up. But huge benefits. You can feel it. Um, maybe not the next day, but the day after that, you can you can almost feel that extra power that you have from really getting those knees up in the air and uh, attacking those hills hard. Yeah, and I want to reiterate, we're not talking about hill repeats here, you know, 45, uh, 60, uh, 75, 90, two minutes, three minute hill repeats. And, and so we're not, we're not, we're not ch- changing this into a quality session. This is just something um, that's going to provide a little bit of anaerobic stimulus during an otherwise aerobic easy run that won't compromise recovery. So, um, you know, an altitude, it might be a little bit different, but even when that short duration is 15 to 20 seconds, there shouldn't be any trouble to recover from. Uh, and the caveat to all of these things are that you're doing them uh, with really good form, being really mindful of the form, because the biomechanical piece that you're learning is, is really important. This is practice for that. So don't ever sacrifice form for speed. It provides you no benefit, increases your risk of injury, and it's, it's overall not good. Once the form breaks, that's enough. I think you've had enough uh, for the day. So be mindful of that. And, um... Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. Form is key. I mean, that's something you and I focused on early on when we first started working together. Was it was really getting my form right, and uh, I I don't think it's a point of emphasis for enough runners. And uh, you know, again, I think it's it's something important to focus on um, on those easy runs and you know, in those stride sessions. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody wants to run at the Boston Marathon, or everybody wants to do this, or qualify for this, or hit this certain benchmark, but. And if you ask people, like almost everyone wants to do it, but then, but then when when you when you show them what you have to do and all these little things you have to do that don't include just going out and killing yourself, it's almost like they think that they're above it or they think that it's not necessary. And then if you can't do the little things, I know ultimately you're going to break down from the big things too. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty telltale sign that maybe you aren't ready to accomplish your goals if you aren't willing to do to work on the little things, the basic things. There's a coach, Brian McKenzie, and I don't agree with a lot of his coaching. I respect him a lot as a coach. He works with endurance, power, strength, athletes, things like that. He wrote a book called Unbreakable Runner. Um, it's pretty good. I would never do the training plan that's in it. I think it's completely uh, almost ludicrous. But – uh, one thing that he talks about is when he takes on athletes, and I mean, he's a coach that charges a lot of money to work with him each month uh, in a one-on-one setting. He goes back and works on their breathing. And um, basically, and this is his own words, if they don't want to work on the basic things like breathing properly and things like that to start, and they're just too eager and want to go and want to go and want to go, he tells them to fuck off and he's not going to coach them. So I think that um, while I don't agree with everything that he does or says, the way he approaches things all the time, I do agree with with that you have to be able to lay the foundations and you have to be able to want to work on the little things. Those are the things that are most adaptable. Um, so I really admire about you, Michael, and what I enjoyed about uh, coaching and what I enjoy as your friend is, is that you're willing to do the work on those little things. You're willing to do the work when nobody watches, the sessions that aren't maybe glorious or really attractive or sexy. You do all of those things, and that's why you, you accomplished uh, you know, kind of your pretty much ultimate goal in running. Um, and that's maybe what was separating it from before or separating you from it before. So I, uh, it's, it's amazing to see you do that. Yeah. Thanks Mark. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, we all have those, those parts of ourselves that, you know, that might keep us from accomplishing a goal. Like you said, you know, not willing to work on the little things, but those little things make a big, big difference in the end. You know, I, I'm not the typical runner body, you know, I'm a big uh, six, four guy. I got, 
big shoulders and I got a big old butt from playing basketball and boxing people out in a low block. But, uh, you know, I, I focused on all the little things, everything that every, you know, from the gear to the shoes, to the nutrition, to the rest, to the recovery, um, all of those things played a part in me attaining my ultimate goal, which was to run a sub three hour marathon. And, you know, heck we, we got it on a busted hip, you know, doing, uh, you know, 35 miles a week with two rest days. Yep. So, um, it, but that was a, a lot of hard work and, uh, built up in that. So you, you can't underestimate the hard work. And, and if you, if there's something you think, Oh, this won't matter, it will matter. All of those little things add yeah, up. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I would like to give. I would like to just give um, a couple uh, examples in that. So one thing that I think it's really important to know is um, I am not the fastest runner. I'm never going to be the fastest runner. Okay, and this is coming from my perspective. Um, I'm not the most talented runner. I'm never going to be the most talented runner. I'm not the strongest athlete. I'm never going to be the most. I'm never going to be the strongest athlete. Okay. Those things are out of my control. There are genetic factors limiting it. I don't put out NFL combine numbers and strength stuff. I, I don't have uh, NBA level height. I don't have the uh, typical body structure of somebody who'd be an endurance athlete. In fact, my muscle fiber proportions more geared towards strength, which comes really naturally to me. Okay. Um, and I can't control those things. So I don't get caught up on those things. What I can control is I can control my effort, right? Um, I can control that. I always, uh, I, I, how competitive I am because I'm, I'm always driven to be as competitive as possible. I can control that. I'm coachable, uh, that I'm willing to learn that I want to be kind of a lifelong student. I can control the effort most importantly that I put into things. Um, and so while those other factors could be important, they could not be genetics play a role. Uh, my genetics are better than some and probably worse than some. Uh, no doubt. I know people who have ran faster than my 5k PR, um, even though I'm able to run at a fairly decent level. I know people that, that their first 5k ever in a pair of basketball shoes, they run faster than me. So they have a lot of genetic talent and potential. Um, but I can't control that, but I can control these other things. And the effort is the biggest thing. Um, and you know, I'm working with a new coach now and, um, you know, my, my goal as in life with everything is to be completely coachable uh, all the time because I want to grow and I want to be better in myself as an athlete and I better in myself as a coach. And I always want to be learning uh, so I can control those things. And those are the things that are important. And, um, you know, from personal experience coaching many athletes over the years, you know, we've just just recently with with Jeremy, we've had over I've had over 100 athletes that I've coached qualify for Boston. And the thing that I've learned um, in that, in that period of time is, is if you can't do, uh, the very little basic, easy things, um, either, like we said, you think you might be above it. You think that it's not necessary. You think that they're not going to get you where you want faster. You're not going to be able to handle the rigors of a full training program. You're not going to be able to handle the discipline. You're not going to be able to handle the other things because these things are building blocks and, and, and if you can't handle the very basic stuff, you're not going to handle the very complicated, rigorous, demanding aspects of training as well. So if that's been something that you've struggled with, and I, and I haven't always been this way, this is this is learning through trial and error. And so if you're like that, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for you to grow. I think the positive thing is like if, if you can identify that like maybe you're not being the most coachable, if you can identify that maybe you're not working enough on the fundamental stuff because um, you don't think it's likely to yield the best results, guess what? You have a huge potential for growth right there that will improve your training, your your recovery, your success in the sport tenfold right off the bat. Mm -hmm. 
No, couldn't agree you know, with you more. So, so going back to the to, to what I can control. Um, so we'll use we'll go out of this sport for a minute. We'll use basketball. Growing up, I love basketball much like you, Michael. Um, I'm only I'm only five eight. I, I like to call myself five eighths and one tenth. You know, one twelfth of an inch. So, uh, <laughs> just over five eight. And um, I was I was never going to throw down any voracious dunks, anything like that. Um, didn't didn't have the natural talent to go play in the NBA, but boy, did I love the NBA. Um, so what I did is is I was really coachable. Uh, you know, I was really team centric, team oriented growing up, and I was able to play basketball um, and do well by finding fundamental and coaching. Uh, success. So I was able to listen to my coaches and Michael, you'll test for this. I have a pretty good mid range jump shot, particularly on the elbows. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Bottenhorn's alley or bottenhorn corner. That's what we call them at our, at our court yep. here. <laughs> and my, I remember one of my coaches and it's burnt into my memory. He would say repertoire, repertoire, repertoire every single time. And basically running through plays, my whole job was to hit like elbow jump shots. I'd even hit them in transition. I can probably hit them with my eyes closed, you know, and I can always go back no matter how long I don't play basketball and go and, and just hit elbow jump shots with probably 80 or 90% accuracy uh, if I'm unguarded. And, um, you know, I the way I was able to control that is 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 essentially what it is. It's a repertoire. It's just repetition. Um, it's it's adding that skill set to your toolbox from repetition, and that's the same way running is. So to think like I wouldn't work on my running form is like the equivalent of Vince Carter saying, "Well, I'm not going to work on any on uh, on any skill piece or anything like that. I'm just going to rely on my athleticism." That's that that's foolish. Uh, Vince Carter has been sharpened by years of repetition in the gym, working on his craft, honing his craft, working on his jump shot, working on his ability to jump and recruit the muscle fibers necessary to jump. Right. So why would it be any different if you want to run at a high level? Yeah, absolutely. Hard, you know, the hard work pays off and all, all of these little things come together. That's, so that's why it's important uh, to be it, mindful it, of the it, skill part, the skill part of running. You, you can't control mm-hmm, talent. You can control skill. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, effort as well, you know, what you put into, and, and I'm sure we're probably going to get to the, the quality run piece and um, what I had been referring to before about, you know, the, the actual intense hill workouts, all that, you know, the, the, that, that speed work, that quality stuff, it's easy to show up uh, to the track and say, uh, okay, well, you know, Mark's got me doing eight rounds, you know, okay, I'll, I'll do the first two rounds pretty you know, on the nose, but Hey, if I slack off the next four, I'm, you know, I'm still kind of doing the work. It's good enough. That's not good enough. No, you, you put effort into every single one of those workouts because those quality ones, the speed work, the tempo sessions, the repeats, all that stuff, that's, that's the fundamentals. uh, And that's what hardens not only your body, but your mind as well to see that you can overcome something. I, I can't tell you how many times I'd look at the schedule for that speed work day from you and just and I'd be like I'd be looking at it and looking up and going I don't know if this is possible I, I don't know if Mark can do this is this a joke and you know I'd I'd go out there I'd put in the work I'd come home look at the Garmin data and see oh shoot not only did I do it but I exceeded what he wanted me to do here I actually I actually ran a couple seconds faster uh, you know in my tempo session you know way to go it, that that's the kind of stuff to keep yourself motivated. Uh, you know, putting in that perfect. hard work. And I, want, I want to stop you. you know, right. I know that's that. That's the kind of stuff that got me. I want to stop it. you right there. So that's perfect. You you offered exactly what I was looking for uh, from an athlete's perspective. Now I want to give it to you from my perspective as the coach of that athlete. Um, a lot of times, um, obviously, my goal is to bring out the best version of you or help you bring out the best version of yourself. I should say. Um, 
but what I think is often overlooked is I spend a lot of time calming people the fuck down. And what, <laughs> what happens is you're like, okay, that was a huge win. Well, I went in there and, and he wanted me to run every 400, let's say in 75 seconds. Well, I ran them all in 72 seconds. But but I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for 75 seconds. I think um, effort doesn't always mean killing yourself. Sometimes effort means putting the effort in to committing to what's right. And so that means slowing yourself down. And it takes a lot of discipline to do that, especially when you feel good. Um, so, so I spend a lot of time actually not telling athletes they should run faster. I tell, spend a lot of time telling athletes – dial it back just a bit, dial it back just a bit. And sometimes I don't even want to say this out loud because it's going to go into people's heads and then they're going to, to uh, alter their, their views of this. But I, I actually, if I want you to run 70, 75 or 77, I'll give you, if I want you to run 77, I'll tell you 79. Cause I know you as an athlete are going to try to exceed that and then feel good about doing that. So I try to play a little bit of a reverse psychology on you without you even knowing it. Of course you're capable of it. You're <laughs> capable of, you're capable of splitting, let's say in this workout seventies, but it doesn't running at four forty pace isn't necessarily what we're looking to do, especially if we're looking to, to uh, simulate maybe the conditions you might face in a race. So um, no, I think you're exactly right. Putting the effort and, and, and running the easy days easy. That's an effort you're putting effort into running the easy days easy and then putting effort into running the hard days hard and, and giving it hell is, is also important too. Cause there are going to be days you don't want to do it and it takes a lot of effort. So yeah, when we're talking about these quality sessions, um, they could be a lot of things. It could be interval runs. It could be fart like runs. It could be those longer hill sessions, more taxing hill sessions that you were talking about, Michael, they could be tempo runs, threshold runs. Um, I'll just go with, with a favorite workout of mine. Um, so when we're, when we're, when we're putting people into kind of more tempo efforts and when you think of this tempo threshold effort, I want you to think of maybe the pace that you could hold um for 60 minutes so so like one hour race pace whatever that may be um and so one that i'll commonly prescribe is 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 a warm-up so almost universally um all of the workouts will have a warm-up of about 20 minutes uh so what i do is typically we'll tell somebody hey let's run let's run for example 60 minutes okay uh, or, or 70 minutes okay so that that includes a 20 minute warm-up um, and in that warm up, it's just easy running, just getting the body moving. Uh, and then we'd like to see some strides, uh, some dynamic drills, opening the hips up, um, you know, closing the hips, uh, leg swings, these type of things, um, really getting your heart rate up during that warm up and getting your muscles loose and ready to go really dynamic stretching, not anything static. We don't want any static stretching. We want like dynamic movements. Um, and then you're going to go into the workout. So let's say for example, this workout is a 20 minute total tempo, but we're going to run 12 minutes at tempo pace, four minutes easy, eight minutes at tempo pace, and then go into a cool down. So what I'm doing is taking a 20 minute tempo, which is, you know, if you're doing it at hour race pace, it's a pretty taxing effort. Um, maybe the first time working into tempos will break the tempo up that way. So it would just be 12 minutes at that kind of threshold pace for me would be somewhere around 540 pace. Um, an easy four minutes where I go back to like a, like a recovery jog, probably just slower than my easy pace, somewhere, somewhere between 715 and 730 pace. Um, do that for four minutes. You should be fully recovered by then. And then hit another eight minutes at that threshold pace. I put in 20 minutes worth of tempo effort, obviously without the tremendous strain of just doing it straight through. Um, and then you go into a cool down. Your cool down should just go back to easy running and even slower than easy running until you're done with the session. Um, yeah. And uh, I think we've talked about this before, but it, it's worth noting when you do come out of these, um, you know, hard effort tempos or even the pickups, uh, 
there's a natural uh, inclination to kind of, you know, drop your shoulders, drop your chin, let yourself lean forward a little bit as you're slowing down. Um, and I, I was seeing that like, that was, that was hurting me more. So to kind of come at, you know, we've talked a lot about control and form coming out of those hard efforts with form um, will, will help you in the long run as well. Cause you can, you can injure yourself by kind of, you know, letting your body really just fall into that easy effort rather than kind of work your way into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's important to prop to, to think about or be mindful of the proper biomechanics anyway. Um, and even, even let's say late in a race, uh, late in a workout, um, there are studies that actually show that focusing on your running form can allow you to sustain the pace for longer than you would have thought. So it can give you a boost or a bit of a second wind if you, if you become more conscious of your, of your uh, pace. And one, it's because you're, 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 you're not allowing yourself to run inefficiently, uh, but two, it's providing you with a kind of a mental focus point that maybe takes your mind off of the pain that you're currently enduring. Um, so being mindful of, of your form late in cool downs after you just beat your butt up for, for the last 50, 60 minutes, um, or just had a hard track session, uh, late in, in workouts, uh, 400 meter repeats, 800 meter repeats, one K repeats, tempo runs, be mindful. Think about it. When you got, when you're running a 22 minute tempo and you got three or four minutes to go, think about where your form is and make the corrections needed. And I guarantee you, you will see positive benefits from that. Um, so that's something, that's something to also think about. Um, and then yes, when you're in, Really, when we think about proper running form, what you want to think is about is a forward bend at the ankles, not with the feet dorsiflex, but a forward bend at the ankles, not the hips. A lot of people tend to crouch forward at the hips, which doesn't provide you uh, any benefits, really inefficient, and puts a lot of strain on your lower back. Um, so a forward bend at the ankle to aid propulsion, um, and then shoulders, chest, head tall, almost like you could think of um, maybe somebody has a string through your head and is pulling you up. Like a like a like one of those I don't know what those dummies are they've been ventriloquists I don't know what, what the dummy is that's on the strings or whatever the doll but uh but like that uh, I'm not a big doll guy but 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 you know uh, what I mean so uh, just a marionette yeah. I think it's okay. a marionette well perfect yeah. yeah you you University of Connecticut baby number one puppetry school in America <laughs> let's go that's oddly specific um but yeah exactly so like a marionette so basically you're just being pulled up by a string at your shoulders and head so think of it that way um it allows you to get more oxygen into your diaphragm it allows you to run with that forward lean and propulsion without inefficiently leaning forward at the hips uh takes excessive strain off your lower back and off your hips um be mindful of that that's great that you point that out michael so um a quality session yeah. could entail a lot of things like we just said but you might see one or two of those a week depending yeah. on where you are in your training program um people who are like 800 meter yeah. runners you might you're going to see that more people who are ultra marathoners probably not going to see it quite as much maybe one time a week uh depending um mm -hmm. and then the final i guess go yeah. ahead oh no i did i was just going to add to um you know when we were talking before about like you especially in those speed sessions when you put that pace in there um you learn quickly uh, for all of the runners who are following the schedule that if you do go full ham on those first two repeats and you blow that time out of the water, you're not going to be efficient for the rest of the ones that you're doing. So um, like you said, I, I used to go into those trying to crush everyone. And then I learned over time, oh, he's prescribing those times because that will allow me to survive the workout. Yeah. And also <laughs> if, if I'm doing them at this level and also put you in the effort zone. So to, don't be a hero out there. Yeah. Don't, 
heroes heroes on the workout uh, tend to be duds on the race course. And what I would say is is yes, those those kind of paces or effort zones prescribed put you in the right uh, uh, effort zone or work output zone to be successful. Um, so ex- exceeding them is again, it's like doing the easy run too fast. It's not really, it's putting you somewhere in between this uh, aerobic high cardiac output work and this anaerobic work. And it's, you're in another no man's land. You're just further up the scale in a no man's land that hurts even worse. So, so yeah, I mm-hmm. think that's really important that you say discipline. What's an, what's an example of your favorite uh, quality session? Oh, I love the ones that are like, uh, you know, eight rounds of something. Because those are, you know, it might be eight rounds of something over the period of eight to nine miles. And typically, you know, if you, if you just saw eight to nine miles in the, in the middle of your week, you'd kind of be bummed out. But like those sessions where you'd, you'd have me run two minutes really hard or three minutes really hard with a 30 second rest and then go right back into okay. it. Um, those are some of my favorites. I, I love okay, those. So like a- um, makes the run go by quickly and uh, uh, you, you feel the hard effort. Um, and it's always fun to see the data too, at the end, you know, all your, all your different splits. Okay. So you're more of a, like the fart like run type, of type of workout is, is kind of your favorite. So you like the, um, like the, maybe the one minute. So like, let's say the workout is warm up one, two, three, two, one, which is a famous tempo run that I've taken from Brad Hudson's training. So, or a, a famous fart like run. So it's basically one minute fast, one minute easy, one minute, or two minutes fast, two minutes easy, three minutes fast, three minutes easy, and then goes back down. So the one, two, three, two, one, or something like that, or maybe uh, eight times two minutes hard, three minutes easy, or three minutes hard, two minutes easy, something like that with varying rests. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, those are always fun. And, and hot tip for those out there who are doing these workouts, I like to write them on my arm in Sharpie because uh, I forget sometimes like the second I walk out the door, did he tell me to do six or eight of those? How many was I supposed to do? So just get a Sharpie, write it on your arm. Um, it, can, it can be helpful. <laughs> yes, yes. That's one thing you can do. I have a photographic memory, so I don't forget it. It's really odd. I can, I can recall <laughs> things I see. So as long as they're written down at some point, if, even if they're on my spreadsheet, I can see them. I don't forget them. Um, it's, it's odd. Now, like I'll lose track of things because I have really bad ADHD, uh, but I won't forget the workout at least. Um, and then, so, so my, an example of my favorite quality session, I, I mean, I really do like fartleks, but since Michael chose that, I will say uh, I really love tempo runs. I like something where it's going to be a long grind. I think my favorite workout of, I would say my favorite workout of so far of 2020 uh, has got to have been um, 10 times 1K, uh, alternating. So 10 times 1K, um, starting at threshold pace, working down to 5K pace, alternating instead of easy jogs in between, it's 1K on, 1K off, so 20K uh, total of the hard work portion. It'd be 20K with... 1k hard 1k steady 1k hard 1k steady so i was running the hard efforts uh started at 545 pace and went down to 515 pace um and then the steady effort stayed steady at 630 pace and for me that just turned into being a really long grind and i ended up for 20k 12.4 miles i ended up averaging somewhere around uh 551 pace so it was a 12 mile grind at about 550, 551 pace. Um, and I really like to just grind off the time like that. And then I just love just straight up tempos too. Like, like, a, you know, Matt, 
gave me a seven mile tempo that I ran at, I think, you know, 541 pace. I love to just grind that. Um, and that's, that's a whole lot of fun for me. I love to hurt. I love to be at the very end and be like, do I have seven more minutes in me and it's hurting and it's hurting, you know, and I'm saying, get in the surf, get in it. You can handle it. Like, you know, whatever it is, whatever my mm-hmm. mantra is. Uh, and then when I get to two or three minutes of a tempo run, you know, what it, whether, whether it's a 15 minute tempo run and I'm at 12 minutes, or if it's a 40 minute tempo run and I'm at 37 minutes, that last three minutes, like I always got three minutes. I always got three minutes in me. I always have three minutes in me. Like th- that's just the mantra I have in my head. And, and I love making those come out because for me, it just kind of silences the voices in my head telling me that, like, that I can't do it. Um, so for me personally, that's like one of my favorite workouts. Um, but anyway, now let's move into the final kind of piece here. Um, the long run and the long run is really important. Bum, bum, bum. That's right. That's right. It's really important and it can be run a variety of ways. And oftentimes it will, sometimes you'll see, you know, the long run where it's just long, slow, easy mileage. And that's really important for the reasons we talked about before. And sometimes you'll see a long run, um, with, with harder efforts, thrown in there or you might see a long run uh it's common for marathoners so you see a long run with the last 25 percent kind of dropping the hammer and getting towards marathon pace the last 25 percent of the long run uh it's important to be able to run for the marathon it's important to be able to run fast on really heavy legs and so a whole week's worth of work a whole body of work on your legs and then you know maybe another 16 miles hard on your legs that day before you rock out four miles at marathon pace or working down to marathon pace um is is really is really something. And you might even see a negative split long run where you, where you run 20 miles with the first 10 at a, an easy pace. And the second 10 negative splitting, maybe down from, for example, for me, maybe down from seven minute pace to down to six minute pace where I take that 10, you know, mm-hmm. take five, six seconds off each mile um, progressively faster. So the, the long run can be done with a lot of variance and um, it just depends on where you're at in your training cycle, but the long run should pretty much always be there um you can think of all of these portions of whatever we talked about with the long run with the quality sessions with the pickups the faster sessions um with the easy runs with the rest think of those all of the component of a training week all part of a recipe um and they should be included in every single training week you shouldn't say well i'm in base phase right now so i'm just gonna run uh 60 miles a week and they're all gonna be easy no variance um or i'm not gonna have long runs because uh, this going on or this going on. Like you don't always need to knock out 18 to 20 mile long runs, but having the component of a long run should always be there. Just like some form of speed and neuromuscular work should be in every training program. Um, because mm-hmm. you lose yeah. those neuromuscular pathways. If you don't use it, you lose it. And if you go 12, a 12 week training block and base training where you don't put any effort or intensity in, um, then, then it's not really good. I forgot who said it, whether it was Brad Hudson or Alberto Salazar. Um, the, the uh, now shameful Alberto Salazar. Um, one of them said that you can think of of a training week like stew or any good training program like stew. And if you only have one ingredient in it, it's going to probably taste like shit. Um, and all I can think of is just eating some vegetable broth, right? Like I don't want that. I want the potatoes in there. I want the vegetables in there. I want the carrots. I want the uh, – whatever maybe i want the celery i want the onions i want the sweet potato you know and uh how bland would that be and that seems like a really bland training uh training philosophy and it's, it's not correct so i think it's important at all stages of training to have all of these in there um but the long run itself is pretty pretty self-explanatory i think yeah yeah and i i always liked uh you know as we advance through a cycle when you'd have those notes in there on the long runs where it would say you know, uh, push the last, you know, two or three, you know, two to four miles, you know, if you can, you know, and 
there's no more rewarding feeling than having been out there, you know, putting in your mileage. You've just done, you know, let's say 16 miles and you've got uh, four more left and you drop the hammer, you get home after that. Oh my God. You just feel unbeatable that there's a, there's a psychology behind that. Uh, and I feel like you'd mix those in at just the right times to, to tell me like, Hey, you got this. Like you, you can go put in the mileage. Like you're going to get the goal that you want to get when you get to race day, because you're putting in this hard work. Um, and I always felt like those, those little challenges at the end of long runs were, were sort of like, you know, these sweet little treats that gave me a preview of what my race day was going to be and, like. Okay. And let me ask you this. When you, when you, when, when race day came, um, did you feel like when you started hurting maybe at mile 17 or maybe at mile 19, did, did, did you feel a little bit of confidence knowing like, okay, I've been here before? Oh God. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, in that race in New Jersey, uh, when I ran the two fifty nine, like those first 13 miles felt like it took 10 minutes, like that time flew by. Um, and when it, when my hip really started acting up around 19, I mean, I went for, you know, a good five to six minutes of like that doubt cycle. And I, I, all I was doing was like you were saying before, focusing on my form, focusing on my breathing. And then after six minutes went by, it's like, well, I'm still running pace. I'm still holding good form. I know I can do this, you know, and, and I know I've put in the hard work. I was just reminding myself of all those moments in training. And, you know, I, I just kicked it into gear, pushed that doubt away and, and finished the job off. It, so yeah, having that mindset of knowing, yeah, I can still push pace at these mileages. Um, yeah, it's very reassuring uh, and very helpful when you do get to race. Day. Yeah, and that's not something I would do in every single long run. Obviously, like you pick and choose based on where the athlete is. Um, but yeah, and, and another thing, you got to make sure that if you if you tell somebody that you're going out for a long, slow distance run, don't say, "Oh, yeah, Sunday I got to do an LSD," because they will think you're doing drugs. So another thing to be careful of when you're talking to non-runners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless. Unless you take LSD and then do a long run, um, <laughs> I think uh, it might be that it might end up being the longest day of your life. Um, I I end up. Yeah, I do not recommend doing drugs during long no. runs. No, I mean I probably, I probably can say I don't recommend doing LSD properly at all, but but particularly during an athletic event. Um, but yeah, no. So I I will say that I think that uh, aside from the obvious uh, physical benefits of that you're going to gain from doing long run week in and week out. Um, I think that there's a huge mental component in terms of confidence that is there uh, as a result. And, you know, I think long runs in most people's schedules are going to typically make up 20 to 25% of your total body of mileage. Um, and there are times where there are going to be exceptions to that. Uh, but so that's just a, that's just a general rule. Um, and then the final thing I'll say yeah. is any of these days, um, whenever there is running uh, anything like that, your run doesn't, doesn't start when you start your watch and when you go out the door and start your watch your run starts before that whether you're foam rolling uh prior to a run is probably good to foam roll for a few minutes before a run if you have the time uh it starts when you wake up in the morning and even if you're going for a morning run uh maybe the first thing you do is is get some water or whatever it is in your routine that's when your run starts your run doesn't start when you get out there and start pounding the pavement and i think when you adopt that mentality and your run doesn't doesn't necessarily end when you when you stop your watch your run ends after you know while you through recovery and things like that uh, once you get home. So I think once you start looking at, at, at that as like, okay, my job isn't just to go out and run for 45 minutes today. 
my job is to be a total athlete and, and put myself in the best situation uh, to recover, to, to absorb the day's training and to win the day. That's when you'll be really successful as an athlete. Yeah. It, that mindset is, is so key. Cause it, you're right. It's not just about the miles you went and ran that day. It's everything. It's, it's from the food you put in your body to, you know, doing your best to keep uh, alcohol out of your body, you know, treat your body like a temple, act like a pro athlete, even if you're not, you know, when you have those long runs, treat it like it's race day, you know, wake up in the morning, go through your routine, use that as time to practice for your race. Just don't um, hammer the run you know, at everything. The coach me is just making sure, you know, don't, <laughs> don't just go out and hammer your run at race pace though for the record. No, no, no. But, but you can still do all the, the other things, the you know, lay your clothes out the night before. Yeah. You know, that, that routine, um, you know, all that stuff builds, you know, towards whatever, whatever ultimate goal that you're working towards. So, um, you know, I, I've just, I, I've seen other runners not take that kind of that long run here. Oh, I got to knock out, you know, whatever, 15 tomorrow or 16 or 18, whatever it is. And, you know, they just kind of get through it and, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating because you're like, boy, you're putting in the effort to go out there and do it, but you're not, you're not doing all of the other things that will actually help you benefit from that yep. run. So you hit it uh, exactly yeah, right it, on. It's, it's about how you frame it. And when you realize it that way, I think a whole world opens up for you. Um, so I think that's mm -hmm. a good time to uh, wrap it up. Um, yeah. And Michael, I'm always grateful when you're on the podcast as a host, we got a new podcast podcast graphic with uh michael on there i thought it's only fair since he's uh <laughs> since he is a permanent long-standing host with us um yeah absolutely no i love that love that new graphic that pick uh you know that that's my calling card you know going full savage uh, at the finish line so yeah it's a, a satisfying yeah, photo it's a, a badass picture of you i was like jealous because i didn't <laughs> i didn't have one as badass so um <laughs> All right, but I guess we'll wrap it up on that note. And uh, as always, if you found any value in this podcast, um, please like, share, subscribe, rate us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast. Um, as always, share it on Instagram if you would, tag us in your stories, whatever it is. We always love to see that. Um, any topics you want to hear yeah. about, feel free to shoot Michael, Pat, or I a DM. You can find Pat at PatXGates on Instagram. Uh, Michael, where can they find you? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you can find me uh, at Son of Raging Joe on Instagram, and uh, I just want to give a shout out too to just uh, to my a couple sponsors. I have Ultra, uh, you know, they they help me out, give me some uh, shoes. I think they're uh, you know some of the best shoes out there, and uh, also thanks to Noon Hydration too. I always forget to mention that stuff at the end of the well, podcast. Well, that's very nice. That's but, uh, shout out. That's to very nice of you, Michael. Um, you can find me at Bottenhorn Running. Uh, you can also find me on my website at www.markbottenhorn.com. Um, if there's any way I can help, if there's anything you want to talk about, whatever it is, reach out. Always love to talk to people. Um, and the final thing I'll say is next episode is going to be really exciting. Michael, I know you're going to want to be on this. We're going to be uh, having uh, my new coach on as a guest. We're going to um, introduce him that way. So it's kind of a surprise, kind of excited about it, uh, kind of excited to sit oh, down yeah. and chat with him. Um, get his uh, philosophy on everything and, and share it with all of you guys. Um, so that'll be on episode number 52 of the Finest Strong Podcast. It's been episode number 51. <laughs> Until next time, everybody, stay strong. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Finest Strong Podcast. As always, if this episode brought you value, um, please like, share, subscribe, rate us on iTunes, share us on Instagram, 
tell the world about us. Thanks again, and stay strong.